We are honored to have visitors among us today. We want you to know how much we appreciate you being here. We also want you to feel welcome to return and visit with us again. For those of you who are looking for a place to work and worship, we want you to know that we are trying our best to serve the Lord and participate in those things which the Bible teaches we ought to do to be able to build up the Lord's kingdom here on earth. This morning, I'd like to address the subject of the invitations of Jesus. Some invitations are a distinct honor. I don't know how about you, but sometimes I have received invitations which made me feel worth something to be able to get that invitation. You know, there are times we might receive an invitation to a formal dinner to be there as a guest. You may, for instance, be in the presence of people who are uh, maybe politicians who are trying to serve our country and our community. You may be in the presence of people who are uh, quite famous in other ways. But to receive an invitation like that does provide for us a certain amount of joy and a certain amount of pleasure. There are others that are more personal. You may receive an invitation from a family member or from a friend. For instance, someone may speak to you and say, we would love for you to go with us on our vacation. We'd like to spend some time together to enjoy one another's fellowship and one another's friendship. The key thing to it is, is who is extending the invitation and to what one is being invited. If you're being invited by someone you want to spend time with, someone you want to be in their presence, and that person is inviting you to something that is good and pleasurable, most of us would say, yes, I'll go. Now, this morning, we're going to have two points, and each one of those points are going to have three sub-points to them. So the lesson will move rather rapidly this morning. We're going to look at the three great invitations of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 16, or Matthew 11, Matthew 16, and then Matthew 25. And then we're going to look at the three responses that people will offer toward those invitations. Let's begin, first of all, with the first one found in the passage that Brother Gordon just read to us just a few moments ago. I want to look at that passage again very carefully. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want you to notice when Jesus speaks, he says, Come unto me, all you who are laden. He's speaking in a universal sense. Every one of us get this invitation. It's not as if the Lord has selectively chosen just a special group. If you go to John chapter 7, verse 37, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, 
for a select group of people, come over here. He is speaking to everyone who ever thirsts among you. John, when he records these type words in Revelation twenty two seventeen, says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Now stop for a moment there. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God. And the Bride. We all know who the Bride is. The Bride is the church. These are the people of God. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come and take of the water of life freely. It is a universal invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. There were people who, in the days of Jesus were laden with all of the burdens that had been placed upon them by men on the basis of a perversion of the Old Testament law. For instance, if you read Luke 11 and verse 46, Jesus said, Woe unto you, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They had taken God's word and made it oppressive, made it a drudgery, made it grievous, made it like a, a burden you had to bear or something you had to carry. In Acts 15 and verse 10, there was a controversy that arose in the early church. There were people who had come and said, unless you keep the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul Barnabas, the elders at Jerusalem, with the other apostles, made it clear that that was not acceptable by saying, Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? They had taken something which was a law of God and made it oppressive on people. Jesus is saying, all you who are laden down with these burdens and struggling with this, come to me. Jesus gave an invitation to come to him and reason about who he is and about the atonement that he provides. You think about coming to me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Learn of me. What is it that we know about him? He is willing to come and take our sins upon himself. Listen to Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The picture that he gives is, is that we come and we reason with the Lord. We understand our sins. We cast our burdens upon him and he cares for us. What Jesus offers is a soul rest to a sin-weary person. He is able to take and provide for us. And Jesus is calling 
calling, come unto me. Second passage is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The invitation naturally follows the previous one. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment. The first invitation in Matthew 11 was to come to Jesus. Now these people have come to Jesus. He speaks to his disciples. And what does he tell them? He tells them to come after me. Come with me. Walk with me where I go. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, For to this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, Jesus provided for us an invitation to come and go along with him, to walk with him, to walk in his steps. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul put it even more closely here when he describes what he did. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember what Jesus said? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I've taken up my cross to follow along with him. What Jesus is doing is calling men to a life of sacrifice like he gave. And it involves our giving up anything or everything that stands in the way of our service. You know, there were people who would say to Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. But Jesus said, you have to understand where I am going and what I am doing. And many times people found that very difficult. There's a good passage in Matthew 19, young man wanting to know what he must do. He had asked the Lord what good thing he must do to inherit eternal life. And the young man had presented to him a situation that was very difficult because it involved denying self. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Did you hear that? Come and follow me. Of course, that young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So you see the Lord saying, Come to me. The Lord saying, Come after me. 
And third, the Lord says, come, you blessed. Let's look at Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you blessed of my father. Jesus is preparing a place for a prepared people. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is found in John 14. Verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is going to prepare a place. When he says, come, you blessed of my Father, to a place that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world, it is a place that God knows about and is preparing for. This invitation is for people who have been laying up treasures in heaven. Do you remember in the previous discussion with the rich ruler who was laying up treasures here on earth? Jesus said you give to the poor and you'll be laying up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6 verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break through and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also these are people who have said heaven is where I want to go and Jesus is saying for those people who have made that their desire their wish come and enjoy that This will be an invitation to enjoy our inheritance. I like the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the abundant mercy, He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He is speaking about an inheritance 
that does not end. He's speaking about an inheritance that he describes as incorruptible. It does not fade away, nor is it one which is defiled, undefiled. This one's reserved for us. Now you've understood the invitation to come to Jesus, the invitation to come after Jesus, and then the invitation to come and enjoy the inheritance provided by Jesus. But now how do we respond to that? I want to use a passage found in Matthew 22, verses 2 through 5, to illustrate how some's response is to make light of those invitations. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. They made light of it. The word made light of comes from the same word which is translated neglect. To neglect something means that we do not appreciate it. We do not value it. Some people might give me an invitation to something and I wouldn't really appreciate it, wouldn't really value it, wouldn't really treasure it. And so... The invitation might sit on my desk and then someone says, well, it's time for you to go. Well, I'm not really interested in going. And I neglect it. When Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, do not neglect, literally, make light of the gift that is in you which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. He said, that's something precious, Timothy. Don't let it pass, but... He said, don't you neglect it. Or Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's some people who do not recognize the grand privilege of being invited by our Lord to come to Him. He didn't have to do that. But He has invited us to take advantage in some look at it. They do not appreciate that Jesus died for them. They don't appreciate that their salvation is possible. And for that reason, many people make light of the Lord's invitation. The second response is that of making excuses. I want you to go with me now to Luke 16, or Luke 14, verses 16 through 20. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. 
Still another said, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Each of these raised excuses. Some seem to always come up with an excuse not to do what they know they need to do, but in reality there is no excuse. What if the Lord were to come now, I'm not talking about 15 minutes from now when service are now, and each of us, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord were to go one by one, and he will go one by one, and each of us give an account of our lives, and the Lord looks at you and he says, why didn't you come to me? What would you say? Oh Lord, you have to understand. No, I don't have to understand. But Lord, this is my excuse. No, I don't have to accept your excuse. Let me point out to you Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can't say, God, I didn't know that you were in this world. Too much evidence. I like a passage from Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 and 12. The picture of a great feast is also on that occasion. And we read about a man who comes in. He says, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You know why he didn't have anything to say? There was nothing to say. How is it that you come, but you're not ready? Folks, do you realize many people will come and attend a service like this, but never put the Lord on in baptism? Many people will come and they will say, I am going to follow the Lord, but they never put on the Christian graces, put on that new man. And I've got this excuse or that excuse. None of those excuses will stand. And what is your excuse? The third response is that of gladly accepting it. On the day of Pentecost, Peter and the eleven stood up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you preach the gospel, the good news, you also have to make people aware that there's sin in their lives. And they begged and they pleaded for those apostles to tell them what they must do. And Peter told them in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You drop down to verse 41. Then those that gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. You have to realize the value of that invitation to appreciate it. Someone says to me, hey, I'd like for you to go with me and let's, let's go out and eat a good steak dinner. Sure, I'm ready. Gladly receive that invitation. Listen to Acts 17, verse 11. 
These were more noble, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. When Paul addressed the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You welcomed it. It's something to be received with joy. Now let's put all this together. The truth is, Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting me, coming to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is trying to get us to come to him, and he wants us to follow him. And in the day of judgment, there will be a grand invitation for those who have followed him to enjoy that eternal home in heaven. I hope that this morning, this lesson may have encouraged you motivated you to be obedient to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to sing an invitation song. It's the Lord's invitation. He is inviting you. If you're not a Christian, come forward, confess your faith in Christ, repenting of your sins, and we'll participate in baptizing you for the remission of your sins. You will then become one of God's children, one of his disciples, one of his followers. If you are a Christian and sin is in your life and you're not following the Lord, repent of that and we'll pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing?